0: You know we already dance on the edge of a whole lot of regulatory stuff and you're right Matt and I'm going to bring this up again in another conversation because the themes are consistent regulation never gets wound back
1: And welcome to episode 448 of Brews News Week, recorded on January 18, 2023. My name is Matt Kierkegaard, and with me is Brewer Ian Watson and IBO position to be advised, uh, Sabrina Kunz. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Um, you know, Happy January uh, to, to, to you both. Nice to see your faces again.
2: Hi. Welcome to the year.
0: Oh, hasn't it been a bit of a... Um it's been a slide into the year this year it's really it's it's happened quickly it's happened quickly it
1: doesn't feel like you know it, 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 it reminds me of the covid years when everyone says I can't wait till next year as if there was going to be a hard reset suddenly pressed one one time this has been very much uh, I wasn't even hearing people hoping for it but it's just yeah sliding in with uh, very little uh, differentiation um, between it um, one of the actually the the, the, the biggest thing for me over the, the the Christmas break was for the last six months, I heard you know brewers are saying oh you know I'm looking forward to a you know hot dry El Nino summer, um, and we didn't get that did we? It's been uh, wet. I don't know what WA has been like, but certainly down the east coast it's been uh, very very wet, and I'm wondering what impact that's going to have on a lot of breweries that were praying for you know a hot summer.
2: Well, it has been a hot summer. It's just that it's been humid rather than. Uh, hot and wet, rather than hot and dry.
1: Well, but I mean, humidity is not so bad um, of itself. But it's the rain, you know. And we, we've had not, and not just wet weather. We've had, you know, torrential, you know, flooding, which impacts businesses. But it, it's just one of those interesting things when you speak to people in hospitality, um, and, and Brisbane particularly, which I think doesn't have the same mindset to wet weather that Melbourne does. But Melbourne still, you know, is impacted by weather. Um, but some of the more traditionally dry states. Um, You you speak to restaurateurs. you know, if they open on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they're basically there as a community service. And it's the the, the Friday, Saturday trade where they make their money. And if you have a storm roll through on a Saturday afternoon, you'll lose half of your confirmed bookings, um, which is the difference between covering costs for the week and potentially even making a profit. And going out, and I know that that's very true for hospitality. Speaking to some of the big brewers, a wet summer, you know, has, you know, what six seven figure um, dents in sales um, for, for for beer, and it's terrifying when you when when I think of how many brewers were talking about needing a good summer of trade. Um, what what the last six weeks has meant
0: to them. It's so hard to get a gauge when you're out and about, Matt, of how things are going because You know, I was out again down at Howard Smith Wharves last weekend for a birthday and it was absolutely packed. So this is Felon's Brewing and Associated Fine. It's
1: a little bit of a normal. (laughs) But it is. And
0: then I I will discuss at some juncture later on I went into um, definitely not a Felon's class uh, hotel in the valley that had an amazing indie beer lineup, I should say, uh, and drank beer all afternoon in a beer garden. But um, both places were packed and it's because it was a Saturday afternoon. It had been raining for days and I was one of the people at home looking at the bomb weather map uh, because the trains aren't running to figure out how I was going to get into the city and out and what I needed to pack. I packed a rain jacket and then it was like 32 degrees and humidity coming off the pavement and you just couldn't, you know, like so, so, so I can imagine that because for the various days prior, it had been that situation of raining all morning and then sort of stopping and then raining all afternoon. People just weren't out. So it's just so hard to gauge as a, when you're out as a punter if you're not going out on a Wednesday or a Tuesday when, when as you say, a lot of these restaurants and breweries need that incremental income to survive. So it's just um, I think the weather is absolutely impacting people's activities this summer and mm. the heat included. As a reason why people are just not going anywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, we'll, we'll wait and see. Particularly when, you know, uh, credit card bills fall due um, at the end of January for the Christmas card spending spree. Um, you know, I don't want to. Oh God, depressing start to the first podcast of the year. But um, it's going to be interesting to see. I, yeah, I'm, I'm just getting the vibe that things haven't been the trade the christmas trade that a lot of businesses were hoping for and you know needing um, to get started but anyway so speaking of which um we, we've got a little bit of news. there's again not a lot of news and some of this goes back to after we recorded the last podcast for last year and that was um dainton which exited uh voluntary administration creditors of dicom australia pty ltd trading as dicom beer uh dainton beer have voted to accept a deed of company arrangement, which will see the company emerge from administration. Under the Docker proposal, creditors, including the ATO, will receive 10 cents in the dollar, the now familiar 10 cents in the dollar. Dainton entered voluntary administration in November, saying it needed to financially restructure as a result of financial losses. The business has accrued uh, from ill-timed expansion in the face of declining consumer demand. In a report to creditors, Administrator Atlee uh, Crow-Maxwell from DBA Reconstruction and Advisory advised creditors that Dainton recorded a loss of 79000 in uh, financial year 2022 and $2.15 million in financial year 2023. The director's report to the administrator, uh, I think it's called a ROCAP, uh, noted that the company's troubles began in 2021. However, uh, were not noted these troubles were uh, that apparently they were aware of um, because of actions that they'd taken were not noted in the company's prospectus for its August 2022 equity crowdfund, which showed the company was actually in profit and growing exponentially. The administrators reported that the company was instead uh, recording a loss, not a profit. Um, and Bruce News also understands a number of creditors expressed concerns about the VA with several voting against the deed of company arrangement. And um, So yeah, um, look, uh, uh, having read the administrator's report, um, I found it very interesting that the administrators just blindly accepted what the directors of the company were saying about the business was in trouble and they were taking action by laying off staff um, at the end of 2021 when 10 months later, they went to market with an equity crowdfunding proposal that didn't reference any of the problems they were having, and talking about exponential growth. Um, so, on one hand, that troubles me as it always does with equity crowdfunding, because how do consumers know whether to invest when they can't rely on the accuracy of the prospectus that I think is meant to not be misleading? And in that case, I, you know, the, the report, to my reading, looked incredibly sloppy. Um, just it, it just went through, but you had the administrators saying that they were being told that the business was having troubles in November 2021 and they had no reason to dispute that um, despite having very glowing and inaccurate financial reports tended to investors a year later. So, you know, I I, I don't know. I've had a lot of people raise concerns about uh, administration generally, but I do look at this one and just sort of think, the pattern of two equity crowdfundings that they haven't, you know, reported. They haven't met their obligations under the equity crowdfunding. They've now gone into administration, um, telling a very different story than they gave in their equity second equity crowdfunding. This just raises a lot of concerns for me, and I just get the feeling that the administrators aren't going into this um, thoroughly um they're just going through the motions because they know that if there's no money they don't get paid and they just want to make sure that you know there is some outcome and they get paid first i believe so you know um it's just very unsatisfying i find
2: yeah but is is it the administrator's job to go back over that information from then or really just to be on the state of the company as it is now and whether it's um a viable going concern and propose a way in which it may be a viable going concern and put that to the um put that to the creditors i
0: i would have thought so ian but i guess that, that that if you're making an assessment that there is a viable going concern forward and there is documentation that is inconsistent public documentation that is inconsistent with what those company directors are telling you then Having an obligation to the creditors to to form that assessment that there is a viable company going forward, and that indeed the people running the company can have a c- can um, continue to operate a going concern, I would have thought is an assessment that needs to be made. And, mm. and if I was a creditor uh, of this or a shareholder, um, and and The uh, administrators detailed their reasons for saying, I don't think there's a going concern because the directors have failed uh, to conduct the business in a prudent way and have. I don't know what words to use, dodgy the books. Um, maybe that's not what occurred. It was just sort of play
1: well, Yeah, we're not saying that I'm about not this saying particular that, but what case. What I mean but... is if, they, if,
0: they've, if they've found that stuff doesn't line up, then it makes it harder to understand how you could make the assessment that with the same management team that it is in creditors' best interest for this business to continue. So that's what I don't, I, I, I guess I come back to, I actually agree with you Ian, their job is not to do this necessarily if, and, and I know Matt's got some some thoughts on this, a really forensic audit of everything that's occurred in the past, but I would have thought basic financial statements not lining up by considerable amounts would be something that would be questioned.
1: Yeah, I don't think they have to be too forensic, but they've got two completely contradictory statements from the same group from the directors. One, you know, after the business goes into VA, a very self serving thing saying, you know, our problem started here um, and the. The administrator just going, Well, we accept that. We've got no actually their words where we've got no reason to not accept that. And I'm going, Well, you do have a reason to not accept that. Their
0: statutory declaration, which is a requirement, if you recall, the reason that Birchall said that they are not accountable for undertaking this exercise in relation to financial statements, is that they are under under the regulatory framework and able to rely upon the stat deck um, of the directors that says everything that's provided is true and correct.
1: So there you go. So straight away you've automatically got, you know, and, and maybe there is an explanation, but certainly the, the the report to creditors who are none the wiser about the business and have to have a set of information on which they can de- decide whether or not this business is worth keeping alive, um, particularly when they're only getting, you know, a tenth of their, 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 their debt, um, you would think that it was at least worth probing those subsequent statements or the, the the statements that were contrary to that and saying, well, they said this, but here is where it's different. Or, you know, this is what's changed. Um, when clearly the uh, administrator said that the problem started in November 2021.
2: A couple of questions here. So what was the size of their uh, equity funding raise um, oh, I think
1: they got almost a million dollars. I can dig it up. But, yeah, it was – they were looking for more. They didn't sort of get
2: what they were after, but it was still a million dollars. And what was the, the total debt, sum of debts, at the time of entering an administration? Oh, I would need to dig that out. I wonder whether, like, on, onto this so – I'm just asking the questions for of how an administrator can come to their position to propose a docker forward. Um, and I'll stand by what I said before, and that it's not the administrator's job to look um, – at that section of the past, however, going off what you said, then and taking that on board, that perhaps you could look and see. Well, okay, if they got X amount um, only this period ago from um, from funding from from selling equity, um, and they've gone into uh, they've had a Y size loss over this period, and have now have Z as their debts. Has that fund, that funding just been used to get them through to the period where they went into administration? And then does that bring a bearing as to whether you see that it is um, uh, in its current structure um, and with current management, whether it is a viable business? Um, and I'm, I'm not sure that it was something we would ever be able to find out um, or whether the administrators would ever be able to say on a particular case, I'd love to know the reckoning about how um, how they come to that conclusion, or. Um yeah, I, I would really like to know how they how they would come to that conclusion to propose any any dock to to creditors. And,
0: and I think, Ian, you know, with that in mind, the bit that really jumps out at me, and, it, and it's the sort of the the concern that I have held all along with um, crowdfunding generally, not this crowdfund in particular, but then also um, as we're, we're seeing this process and many others unfold, um, the regulatory environment is unsatisfactory. <laughs> No, oh, no. Don't but- get
1: me started on that. That'll be a whole podcast. <laughs> uh,
0: okay, but this is so, I mean, you and I are aligned, great. Um, but, you know, the, the regulatory environment doesn't protect the small individuals who are buying into these businesses. It's not protecting um, the creditors who are supporting the business on the basis of what's being put forward. And, yes, there is an objective sort of buyer beware. But we also know that some of the dissatisfaction of um and in this case I'm thinking trade suppliers, some of the dissatisfaction of trade suppliers in the case of Dainton um, is as a result of conduct that um, would be considered less than ideal in the most generous of terms. Um, So, you know, purchasing a whole lot of supplies and then uh, not paying just before calling the administration so that is a that's a that's a decision that was made by the people involved quite frankly to put those suppliers in a in a worse off position than they needed to and so I come back and go if the regulatory environment is going to continue to fail as a corrective uh, as a protection and a corrective mechanism then I just keep coming back to particularly in the instance of trade suppliers what does that mean for the industry more broadly and if I was the trade suppliers impacted, I'd be saying, go find your hops elsewhere, mate. Go find your malt elsewhere. Go get your whatever your cans elsewhere. And there aren't that many suppliers or that many options, particularly if you have core products with certain requirements in Australia. And so at some point, you're going to become unviable simply by the way that you behave in, the, in as it relates to um, business practices. So The flow-on effect for small businesses—we've talked about it before—is tightening tightening trade terms. But I would have thought, in our in the brewing industry market, the suppliers actually have a lot of power to just turn the tap off.
2: Absolutely, they do, and uh, I I have been made aware of some suppliers doing that to to businesses. Um, And with many ingredients, there is only the one source for them. you know, because they could be proprietary ingredients. Exactly. And being a small industry, if you're a supplier of um, one particular product and you know that uh, one of your competitors uh, lost a lot of money out to a business uh, through supplying that product, now they no longer supply them, and this business comes to you, you'd be quite wary about credit terms. Um, Absolutely. Or, or wary about supplying them full time.
0: And so, as we, if if we use Dainton as sort of a, um, a, the story of what could happen, if these administrations continue, which you know by all by everyone's sort of um, mark, they will, the position for the breweries that would be going concerns, but for tightening trade terms inability to access things you know like a little hiccup as opposed to you know raising a million dollars uh on, on on data that is inaccurate you know those little folks are going to be impacted significantly by this change in the economic environment quite apart from the change in the consumer side so you know at an industry level it's just the cumulative impact of these ongoing is going to have a, a cumulative impact on the broader industry writ large.
1: Which actually brings me to is something that has concerned me in a couple of the administrator statements. And for the deed of company arrangement, I'd always assumed that the deed involved, you know, the directors who wanted to, or the people who wanted to rescue the business, stumping up with the cash that, you know, provides payment to the administrator, the employees, and like all of those um, things. And then, that what's left over goes to the unsecured creditors at you know 10 cents in the dollar. I'd assume there was a lump sum that was guaranteed as part of the thing. But a couple of them have a line that says, creditors should be aware that the docker as proposed is dependent upon the business providing sufficient cash flow to meet some of the docker payments. So to me, that sounds like You vote now and maybe the business will trade profitably so we can then actually make the payments. So you agree to write off 90% of the debt on the chance that maybe the business will trade and make enough money to be profitable to give you the $0.10. Because there's no guarantee. Creditors should be aware that the docket as proposed is dependent upon the business providing sufficient cash flow. So it's not that there is a lump sum going in in full and final thing i get i you know my reading of that and it's something i need to 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 look into um it's it's just i've noticed in the last couple um so i need to speak to an administrator about that but you know that worries me as as well because if credit if um unhappy creditors do cut off the business um and not supply them or supply them you know on without terms for example then that makes it harder and you know maybe the business doesn't end up
2: yeah that that, that one is um, uh, really surprising to me. It was um, my understanding, and, and obviously wrong on this, that it had to be done um, and had to be settled within a given period, um, and that is done then by the uh, preferential distribution of those funds. So there is a an, an order to which they must be paid out. Now, and in with that paying out there must be agreement from those creditors uh, that the um, there must be agreement on the amount so that the amount owed, that they're in agreement, that what is owed to them. Like, let's say that you're you're owed $10,000. Uh, the administrator says that you're owed $10,000, but you go, no, actually, I'm owed $11,500. They can't pay down the line until they've agreed with you on that. So if that's still then... Um, dependent on profits coming through as well, and someone's not agreeing on that, that would delay everything further, further down. So I, I'm, I'm unsure. I, I would love some um, mm. guidance and understanding on. We need to, yeah, that, that's something that we need to dig into. The
0: other thing that is interesting is that for Docker to pass, it requires fifty percent in number of creditors and fifty percent in value. And I would have thought that in most cases, the the largest value is um, the ATO. But if we are going to start seeing this queue, who who may be voting no to the docker and just saying, you know, um, stuff this. But if we're going to start seeing trade suppliers be impacted more and more, in many cases, sort of up until now, they've been voting yes to try and recoup, as you say, 10 cents in the dollar versus nothing. But if several trade suppliers uh join the ATO and have got you know 75% of value or 80% of value you're going to start to get to the point where um dockers are going to get voted down so like i just and 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 this is going to be a theme that comes up for me in another discussion later on but whilst i agree and support and accept that businesses Need to take the steps necessary for their particular business. Um, There are degrees in my mind of what constitutes good business ethics and and what or, or good ethics and what doesn't. And that's for each individual to determine on their own. But we cannot, when we're looking at this at an industry level, say the actions of one brewery or business does not impact other breweries and other businesses in our industry. And we keep having these conversations. No,
1: because everyone's got to compete. Everyone's got to compete against the actions of others. A-
0: and this is going to come up for me later when we, when we have this conversation about a a beer label where it was, you know, people were weighing in and saying, just everybody get off their high horse, stop talking about this, don't do this. And I just think we're all part of a single ecosystem and it is naive to think that the actions of one, won't affect the action. Won't affect potentially negatively. Also positively, uh, other players in the industry. And I, I just come at that with sort of as these roll on, we are going to see a cumulative impact on everybody in the industry. And and I don't think that we can take for granted um, that that won't be a negative impact.
1: Moving on, uh, that was how the year ended. The year started with Waywood and Local Drinks Collective entering voluntary administration. Uh, This first bit from a media release: Waywood Brewing Company Proprietary Limited and Local Drinks Collective have announced their decision to appoint an administrator to help facilitate a financial restructuring of the business. Wayward operates a craft brewery and taproom in Camperdown in the inner west of Sydney. LDC is a distribution business formed in 2022 by Wayward Brewing Company, and Batch Brewing is not involved in the voluntary administration process and continues to operate as normal. Uh, DBA Reconstruction Advisory as administrators uh, from same advi- administrators as Dayton, is supporting the continued operation of the combined business of Wayward and LDC. So employees and customers should consider it business as usual. There'll be no impact on ongoing production, distribution, taproom operations as a result of the appointment. Um, I was on holidays, but I did speak to Peter Philp, uh, who said that we're going to trade through it. We're not going to give up on the concept or the idea of LDC or what we've uh, achieved We think we've got a good business. We just want to restructure things so we can move forward, uh, basically. And I I think restructure is a euphemism of clear the decks of debt for, um, you know, because you don't see these businesses restructuring in a material sense. Um, It sounds like wayward restructured when it created LDC. But uh, yeah, they all talk about restructuring. Um, We've made quite a few people redundant last month, so we're in a position now where we can make money, assuming there's no further deterioration of the market, but we just got to try and work our way through this. COVID wasn't easy. Um, These are a couple of different um, things that he said. Uh, We didn't make any money in COVID. We thought coming out of COVID, we would be back to pre-COVID levels. That didn't happen. We're all hoping for a big summer this year. There we go. Everyone's hoping for a big summer. Uh, But these interest rate rises have just killed consumer confidence. So we're not alone in that. I think everybody's in the same boat. I did ask him about um, Local Drinks Collective, which is a very relatively new operation compared to uh, Batch, for example, that is, uh, um, you know, a, a much smaller brewery. And he said, local drink collection is the distribution engine room of the business. So it's got all of the exposure and all of the cost. And Waywood has got the production costs. So it's really about Batch wasn't doing a huge amount of business, so it's been relatively insulated from this. Um, now, that uh, stood out to me a little bit because, you know, the ATO has been looking at, quite apart from the fact that they're going to potentially lose a significant portion. Uh, Wayward's offering 10 cents in the dollar, uh, I should say. They've made a report to creditors. Um, but the partnership or the the grouping of Batch and Wayward um, was structured in a way that uh, they were able to go to the ATO and say that they're financially independent of each other for excise purposes so they could each claim the um, excise rebate. But it sounds like, just the way that he described, it sounds like the business is structured, um, you know, again, it's just another area that, uh, I, I don't know what the, the, the case is. Peter's taken it to the ATO and apparently has a private ruling that the way that it's structured is fine. But, you know, at a time when the industry is really looking for government support for things like Beer Australia, um, looking for moratoriums on uh, excise, you know, cost of living, excise increases, um, and, you know, constantly wants to, the, the government's interest... You know, I, it, 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 it's difficult, you know, um, when you see two business operating very, very closely, you know, you, you, yeah, it, it's, there is so much conversation about businesses coming together to consolidate um, and grow as a way forward for small breweries, that if businesses are looking to structure to get the benefits of co- collaborating, um, but still getting the benefits of being independent, um, you know, you, you wonder how long it'll be until the ATO or the government starts wondering whether there's not a loophole that's being exploited that, again, when you say Sabrina, can impact everybody. You know, either everybody will, will sort of see this as an opportunity to do the same thing or everybody will lose the chance, you know. Um, we, we just don't know.
0: Yeah, so I, I won't comment on um, Waywarden and Local Drinks Collective specifically, but what I will say is that as part of this Uh, webinar that the IBA did last year, we spoke with um, one of the lawyers who routinely works on, on the excise issue and we know that the ATO is currently auditing legally and economically independent. So that audit started last year, breweries who contract um, with each other, should be very, very mindful of this issue. If you haven't sought advice already, you should do so. We know of a, uh, we the IBA um, know of a, a brewery who received, you know, a, um, what did they call it? A, I want to say draft invoice, an invoice of a considerable amount of money that the ATO said was owing because of this failure to, Specify um, between businesses and, in particular, the relationship around legally and economically independent So for for, for contractic brewing, so I you know with my IBA hat on, I just flag and say, the ATO is auditing. If you contract, if you make beer on behalf of others, or you have your beer made for you, ensure that your agreements, your written contractual agreements, are very very clear. Uh, on a a wide range of issues and get advice on those contracts to ensure that you're on the right side of it and don't end up with a scary, scary bill on the other side. So, you know, we know that this question, that question is under the spotlight already.
1: And this is just a little bit of a, you know, thing that I jump on, you know, I talk about the 32 page definition of a biscuit. You know, the more You know, if if you try and get around rules, the spirit of a rule, because it's of the way it's worded, um, they just change the rule, and the only way that they can do that is create more regulation, which makes it hard. You know, again, it's it's that's why it's called red tape.
0: This is my whole thing around the definition of beer, people. Like, let's not stretch the bar so far that eventually someone says, oh. Maybe we should really take a look at what constitutes beer. I <laughs> think they've already done that. Uh, it's so.
1: It's an aqueous solution made of malted. I, I know, you know, but what is it?
0: it's it's kind of it, it, it's been coming up when we're looking at, at these labeling issues again, and I'm just like, oh my god, people, like, it's it's pretty ugly. So, like, you know, we already dance on the edge of a whole lot of regulatory stuff, and you're right, Matt, and and, I, and I'm going to bring this up again in another conversation because the themes are consistent regulation never gets wound back Mm. never goes backwards it just gets worse
1: look at excise look at how complicated excise is but let's not go there Um, just very quickly Moffat Beach Brewing Company uh, uh, is in business despite speculation in response to a lot of industry chatter um, Moffat Beach has an associated company called uh, Blackwater Trading that operates the cafe not the brewery Um, it went into voluntary administration. Um, I actually learned of that November, October, November last year. Um, but it didn't seem to affect the brewing operations. It seemed to be completely unrelated to the brewing, um, because of the way that it's a separate business. Um, but yeah, Moffat beach came out and clarified the situation that, uh, I I don't, you know, I suspect that it's as tough for Moffat beach brewing as it is for everyone else in the industry, but it, wasn't actually in administration. But then um, Wildlife Brewing um, it advised its uh, followers on social media that it will be ceasing all operations and pouring its last beers on Friday, February 10th. After five and a half years, four core beers and 20 limited beers and over 120 stockers, including Dan Murphy's and BWS, the team have made the hard decision to go out on their own terms. And, uh, you know, I actually salute them for that. You know, I, I suspect that, you know, the hardest decision, um, you know, anyone in business is going to fight to keep their business alive any way they can. And I think, uh, you know, clearly these guys were a small little, um, operation. They didn't have sheep stations riding on it, but I'm sure that they had a lot of their own, um, at the very least sweat equity and probably a, a bit of money involved in it. So, um, you know, Congratulations to them for what they did. They had a go. Um, You know, they 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 had a go at playing out their dreams, and uh, you know they're they're closing as they said uh, on their own terms. Um, So congratulations to them, and we wish them all the best.
0: Yeah, I saw a couple of really positive um, messages from other small breweries uh, for these guys, and again, like you, Matt, I I don't know them personally, but I just thought it was. um, I I thought it's very um, the the same as you. It's very great to see in contrast to how other some businesses are scrambling to survive and perhaps not treating everyone uh, in their supply chain as well as they could these guys have gone we gave it a red hot go and we're winding up and we're not impacting anyone else great job to them and wishing them all the best and hopefully they continue to drink and enjoy beer all the way along
2: yeah I'll I'll, I'll echo those sentiments I uh, empathise with them and um, commiserate with them for having to shut down their dream but um, show admiration for obviously having internally looked and realised that there is not the position or the future for them and so um, taking that difficult decision which I imagine would come at uh, great personal pain
0: yeah.
2: uh, for them to, yeah. to do that and so good on them for the strength to to be able to carry that through.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, uh, there's no real segue, but I will just sort of uh, give a big shout out to our friends at Railings, who, uh, you know, with the hottest 100 coming up, if you want to uh, celebrate, uh, you know, a potentially uh, high placement, um, hopefully you'll get a high placement, um, and or celebrate some of the wins that you've had or some of the uh, achievements. uh, They've installed a new printer that can print short run full color cartons and coasters. So if you have any seasonal or special beers and you only need a small number of cartons for. Or if you want to promote a special event, as I said, like uh, Gabs, give Rallings a call. There's no plate setup charges, very small minimum order uh, quantities and a quick turnaround time. They can print on supplied cartons or they can supply the cartons for you. The coasters might be worth thinking about for promoting Gab's votes, uh, or that, that's closed, uh, or your Hottest 100 beers, and they can be printed on both sides. So you can even work with some local businesses to advertise on the back uh, or even the pubs, um, helping to uh, support the pubs that are supporting your beers. Uh, your branding on one side and the local plumber or mechanic or pub on the other side. Of course, all of the other products and services are still available, labels, shrink sleeves, tap decals, blank cartons, trays, etc. Give Brad, Paul and the team at Rallings a call on one 852 235 and they'll be happy to help. Um, now moving on to other news this was one that you posted I'm going to let you get on your high horse about this one Sabrina
0: so uh, at the must be early back into the new year um, I came across a small brewery on the Gold Coast who had launched a a Posito Sour um, and the the tap decal for that Posito Sour was identical uh, to the label of a Percedo soft drink, and I think I posted it into the Radio Bruce news group. Something along the lines of this feels like personal trolling. Like it was there to wind me up on a Friday night, <laughs> even though I realised that. Centering myself in the in the story, um, I just was a little bit flawed, um, and I was a little bit flawed because it is so similar in error to the hard solo, which had dominated not just the beer industry news but uh, mainstream media for such a large proportion of last year. Now, folks made the comments, uh, th- there was a very lively discussion in the Radio Brews News Group and I would point out that I think that is incredibly healthy place to do it and very useful to do it because the industry can only find what we say is an appropriate level if we are in constant discussion with each other so i actually congratulate everybody for weighing in on that discussion and i'll actually
1: come back to that when we get to the to the letters talk about that a little bit further
0: But so my issue is twofold. One of the the the, um, comments that was suggested was, "Well, this isn't different because this isn't packaged product. This is just being served in a venue in the tap room room where kids can't can't see it. Well, kids can't buy it, Matt." So this really wound me up because we have done a lot as the um, small beer in particular to say we are different from hotels because we don't have pokies in the corner, we don't have racing on the wall, we are a family-friendly venue, everybody should come along. And I appreciate within that broader statement there are a myriad of venues in our industry. But I know in this venue, having attended with my child, that there are children in attendance. And my child is not of age where he would do that, but I can tell you that I walked through Brisbane Duty Free recently and the overall branding of Brisbane Duty Free is is, um, hot air balloons in bright colours. And it's all alcohol. You run straight into it. And my son at three was like, oh, what's this, mummy? Is this, um, can I have one of those? I'm like, no, mate, it's alcohol. I was like, Be-. he knows that alcohol is beer. So it is it is nonsensical to say that this is not in the eyes of children. It is not visible to children. That is not to say that a child has access to it because quite like, um, you know, you're carted, you're selling it over the bar and it's not being served in a package. So there are 100% degrees. I totally accept that. But it is we can't produce something that clearly has an appeal to minors, not even in a remote tangential, a direct appeal to minors, the colour, the branding, the visuals, that a child of 12 or 13, if it happened to be pat packaged would assume was a non-alcoholic beverage and I don't understand how anyone in our industry can say otherwise because what that says to me and I can feel myself because you're a
1: killjoy Sabrina you're a killjoy who doesn't want people to have fun and people should be responsible for themselves and that we can do whatever we want, irrespective, because we're not the ones that are causing the problem. The person who drinks this or allows their child to drink it is the problem. I just have summed up all of the uh, counter arguments in one So go. what
0: I want is for our industry to thrive. And I believe that we are collectively and individually smart enough to do that. Uh, we have the ingenuity to do that. And actually... I don't even have a problem with, you know, somebody made the observation it looks exactly like a Pasito Sour should. If the description of this beer was, you know, a passion fruit sour, it may remind, different branding, it may remind you, uh, um, may bring back memories of drinking a Pasito Sour. I wouldn't actually even, that might be too far for some people. For me, I go, that removes some of the, um, the immediate appeal to minors that is the issue that I have with this particular beer. And I actually think it was probably a great beer, and I'm not talking about who the brewery is because I don't intend this to be because of the place that it was posted. This isn't an attack. This is a learning opportunity for all of us to say what do we accept. And I just want to talk about, so so I'm just going to join that with two other things real quick and then I'll let you guys have your own rants. Um, but uh, there was a comment posted in that said, you know, it was one of those... um onion or whatever it was like boost juice announces new tropical smoothie range by craft beer um, which is sort of uh, when you you think about it coming only days after posecido sour is somewhat amusing uh, and then we also had the post that was um fairly swiftly taken down and 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 criticized uh by folks in relation to beer Farm and women, and again there was. We
1: might talk about that one separately a little bit more. But there was a there
0: was a there was another interesting conversation on that, Mm. and I actually agree that the conversation is ongoing. But we have a a a currently voluntary code of advertising uh, that governs the way in which we should be behaving as businesses in the beer industry because we sell something that is a regulated product. And if you are coming to alcohol without accepting that what we do is something different from selling cheese or something that can't be abused, then you're, you're wrong and you haven't understood your responsibility um, in that really important way. ABAC offers online training courses. Um, and I just want to talk a little bit about ABAC because it is voluntary. But the step after voluntary is compulsory. And compulsory isn't going to look as easy as voluntary looks today. So a lot of people probably ignoring ABAC, and I'm going to give you the stats here in a second, because they think it looks complicated. The reality is it has been designed by the industry to try and make a regulatory environment that is as easy to comply with as possible, given our, our special obligation as producers of something that is regulated. In the past uh, 18 months, 13 IBA members, so 13 breweries, have used the ABAC pre-vetting service of over 425 brewery members and 600 plus in, in the broader industry. And ABAC offers free online training that your marketers, that your head of whatever, who do your posts, who think about your products, who design them, in the last three years, nine IBA members have participated in the free training. I don't want to hear from anyone that they don't know what constitutes, that they think it's difficult to determine what constitutes an evident appeal to minors. If they have not taken their free funded by large beers training to understand what that is, that is actually your regulatory obligation. And in six months' time or 12 months' time, based on the work, so the IBA is is advocating at every point to say stop making regulations so hard. Stop regulating small beer. And then we have a voluntary code and we have 23 take up over three years Come on, man!
1: But I, I think that's and I think that's the key to it. Everyone's complaining about the cost, the cost of regulation, and yet they're doing their best to wave a red rag to the regulation bull when it comes to labeling. And, don't anyway. get,
0: and I want to preface this with: small businesses don't have always a head of marketing to send to this and an head of HR to send to that and a this and a that and the other. But actually, in the alcohol space, I would have thought that one of your core goals was to ensure that you were marketing in a way that was safe, deemed safe for everyone. And so again, with my, um, I just want to say that this represents a huge opportunity for all the breweries out there that haven't taken that online training to get Educated and comply with the very minimum standards that exist because otherwise, in 12 months' time, the IBA is going to sit here and say, Look at this new legislation that's been proposed. Here is what it's going to mean for your business. And at that point, we are too late.
1: (laughs) Ian, did you want to pick up on that one? I wound up. Great, great rant. Like a top rant. rant.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah. I'm not sure really what more I can um, genuinely. <laughs> look, um, yes, Sabrina, you're right exactly what you're, you're saying there. And a product like this, doing that, like there is nothing against the product. Um, a passion fruit sour beer, I haven't tasted that beer. I'm sure it's lovely. I've tasted many passion fruit sour beers. I've made them myself. They can be um, freaking delicious. Um, but we do have to be mindful of um, how we market our product, and we do have to make sure we have a responsibility. We're we grown ups. Um, let's not market in a way that could have appeal to children. And for the vast majority of time, it's not hard to to see what can have um, a, a appeal to children. And without doing the course, you, you you should know that you're a grown up. You were a child once. You know. You remember what if you're got. doing
1: something to appeal to your childhood memories. By definition, you're appealing to a child.
2: Yes. Sorry. Yes. that's, that's just it's a like- product that really doesn't exist and, um, you know, really uh, our standards have changed. So maybe marketing to a child in 1837 is probably difficult, different to what it is in 2024. But, um, look, there's also in this particular instance um, IP to address, and that's assuming that they haven't gone into a partnership with Kirk's on it. And if they have Kirk's, you should have known to have been a little bit better than this. Um, and it's not just to single out this bridge. We've all got to make sure that we're, we're not doing this. We've, we've gone over it. Come on, let's move forward as an industry. Uh, let's listen to Sabrina's words there. They're, they're right on. Let's not take the immature approach of just keep it away from kids because um, that's just not the way it works. And it's not just about keeping it out of their hands. It's making sure that the category is not um, directly appealing to children um, as well. So that from a young age they're already uh, associating and wanting to be consuming alcohol. That's that's part of it, um, as 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 well as just keeping it out of their hands. That is a separate matter, um, all all altogether uh, It's not taking away your freedom and your ability to express and create. Because if you have to express and create by just um, mimicking the marketing of of children's products or products that are consumed. In a large amount by children, well, that's not um, being being creative. There is a whole world of things that we're all able to to do in order to market that can be creative. Sometimes a little restriction can make things um, a, a little bit easier too. It's like as a brewer, and someone says, "Oh, can you brew a new beer tomorrow?" No tell You're like, "Well, what?" You know, because there is so many things that we could brew. But if we're told, "Well, okay, we need something that's..." Uh, uh, not super pale in colour, a little bit of colour, but not too dark, and I want it um, hoppy, but not too bitter, and I don't want it um, too light in alcohol, but I, 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 I don't want it to be a strong beer. Okay, well then you've got some parameters to work with, and, and sometimes that little bit of restriction can actually make you more creative than when you've got um, when you've got a total open slather. So it's not affecting your creativity at all. And please. Let's just be grown ups and let's market our product to to grown ups and let's, as we're saying, have these um chats and we'll be seen as an as a, as a mature industry. That's right. And let's have these chats amongst ourselves because yep. community standards change all the time. It's I'm like great. when they pre vets and then there can be um, an appeal against it and they rule in a different way to their pre vetting. That's because they're moving with community standards and as they realise what community standards are. We are part of our community, so let's discuss with each, with each other and then we can find out. What we all think is our our standards, and we can work together and move forward.
0: And related, but not Ian. There's been this recent, uh, another recent discussion in the Radio Brews News Group about naming beers and the challenge and and core ranges and 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 sort of all of the decisions that go on in that, and some really valuable input, I think, there as well. Um, and and I just made the observation that actually. Naming a beer these days is actually a really tricky sandbox to play in, um, because of the volume of beers that have been produced o- over the past decade, both at a that are either a trademarked or b um you know ha- have been used commonly. And so, I'm not saying it's not it can't be it, it's not always an easy exercise, right, to come up with an an engaging name that reflects the beer. I'm not suggesting that by any means, but to your point, Ian the real ingenuity and the real um, sort of, uh, uh, I guess, creativity comes in having that, having all of those constraints and having to come up with something that is genuinely fits in all of the boxes that we have. And I think that is where it's really interesting and exciting.
1: Absolutely. And all I'm going to say about it, yeah, like it's it's, it's alcohol. Um, we need to stop short of the line because if we're stopping on the line, uh it's as bad as crossing it so if if there is widespread debate about where the line is or whether the line's been crossed just take it for granted you, you've gone too far you know anyway um but just on that I just wanted to add there was a great discussion around beer farm um uh Mitch Munro and uh, this is going to be our letter of the week uh, just sort of posted something that concerned him and I don't want to spend too much time going into it but some of the comments that we've had, both about the Pasito Sour and about ABAC, and there's been a lot of industry discussion saying, you know, stop bashing the industry, you know, or why don't you contact the brewery specifically? Um, I think that misses the point of what the Radio Brews News Facebook group is. Now, we tightly, um, you need to be approved to enter it, um, and by and large, you've and you're listening to the podcast you're a member of the industry and we you know we actually we could probably have probably twice as many members because i just if i don't know who the person is if it doesn't seem to be a member of the industry if they don't give the code word which is currently saison um we don't don't include it because we want the radio bruise news facebook group to be a place where mature sober discussion about these things can take place and i think bruise news facilitates a lot of those discussions. And you can have both sides of the industry respectfully and politely discussing things that quite often aren't ventilated. Um, And and you wouldn't want them ventilated in some of the public Facebook groups that aren't um, populated by the industry. And, you know, when we're with the Beer Farm Post, Um, to see uh, guys like Sterling Howland uh, weighed in with a really interesting take um, and just a very respectful conversation that was going on um, and very insightful. I thought it was really, really valuable. And, uh, you know, it was very nice at the end to have um, the representative of Beer Farm Weigh in and actually acknowledge the respectfulness, and that you know gave them food for thought. And that's what that group is for. It's not to bash anybody. Um, yes, if you if you have an issue with a brewery, because not everyone is a member of the of the group, maybe let them know. But the stuff that goes on the conversation, I'm not aware of anyone screenshotting and posting to other um, or you know controversies being. Instigated outside of that group, it's possible, but again, I think because we have people who are of good faith discussing it in there. So, anyway, um, thank you to Mitch Monroe for raising that issue um, and prompting such a, a, a great discussion. I think go and if you are a listener, go and have a look at it because we don't need to go through it all there. And congratulations for Beer Farm for you know the the, the really mature, um, responsible way they um, you know address the issue. But because that was our. Uh, uh, mailbag, um, I'm going to thank our, our good friends at Beer Fans is back uh, to sponsor the the, the, the mailbag. So um, we thank uh, Beer Fans. If you want to get your brand in the hand of more fans, they can help you find those fans. Uh, get in touch with Beer Fans. There's a link in the show notes. Um, I'm just racing through this because I know Sabrina's got, a after her uh, world-class rant, um, has a <laughs> bit of uh, industry information on behalf of the IBA that we want to squeeze in. So I'm going to race through um and brewery of the week um, i'm going to change of pace this week um our good friends uh, at BlueStone yeast can supply pitchers of yeast from one liter to 100 liters at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter and we checked, they do check three times to make sure that they, exactly how many uh, uh, cells you're going to find. Um, and whether you're after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at or call Derek on 8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. Um, and my change of pace this week is... I was in Melbourne over the holidays and I went to a number of breweries, some of whom may feature in upcoming breweries of the week. But, Ian, this is one that you might uh, have some thoughts on as well. I went and visited the local tap house at St Kilda. Um, The original, and I still think the best, beautiful European um, beer-inspired venue. Uh, Still, um, I think, opened in 2008 and it is still, uh, you know, where I think uh, a lot of craft bars should aspire to that want to have a good selection of beers, great, knowledgeable service, a welcoming, relaxed atmosphere. Um, and uh, so huge shout out to the local tap house for keeping it real for ooh, coming up
2: 16 years. Well, I haven't been there in a long time, Matt. I'd love to get back there. I haven't been in Kilda in a very long time. Been to Melbourne, but haven't, haven't got out um, that way, which is a shame. I'll have to make the trek back out there, Uh it, it's well over a decade since I was there. Fantastic to know that it's still going strong and and still uh, serving beer in a wonderful, wonderful way. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure that venue has inspired the opening of many other bars, uh, the opening of many breweries, given probably a rise to a different uh, level of appreciation of beer to many people when they've been introduced to it through... Through there. So yeah, fantastic choice for our uh, brewery of the the week, venue of the week, uh, brewery they, venue they, they, supporter of the week. Yeah, yes, they they are, they are an institution in in the Australian uh, good beer scene.
1: Now, Sabrina, you've got a little bit of IBA business about digital age verification of photos and videos for consumer campaign that you wanted to. Uh...
0: Yeah, so really quickly, I just wanted to, um, with my new um, hat on, just um, huge shout out to the 25 plus um, I- independent breweries that supplied uh, photos and videos to support a new um, indie um Uh, ask for indie beer campaign so if you haven't done so already you can email that in membership at iba.org.au but thanks to the many many that have already submitted some really great content Um, and finally sort of just a couple of things to put on people's radar Queensland is currently consulting on digital age verification um, for online sales of um, alcohol so this will obviously affect everybody with um, online sales Uh, so you know, look to see there will be some information that you'll get from the IBA, um, including our submission to the Queensland Government on behalf of members. Uh, and then also just sort of um, the year is going to kick off really quickly uh, in the next couple of months. And so everybody should have their, their you know, eyes alert to the inboxes for all the stuff that's going on with the IBA because I think, um, as you've noted, Matt, um, there's never been a more important time for for us to be collectively working together. And I think you're going to see a big push on some of the advocacy stuff in the next couple of months. So expect to see more in that space.
1: Wonderful. Um, Well, God, just as we roll up to the hour, um, that wraps up another week of news, your first week of news for 2024. Hope, uh, Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with another Beer as a Conversation on Tuesday and discussing all the news of the next week, uh, next Thursday. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard. I've been joined by Sabrina Kudens and Ian Watson. The show is produced and edited by Joanne Helder. We thank her uh, for coming back again. Uh, we thank Bintani, Rallings Abel Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast and Beer Fans for their support in making this episode possible. Um, thank you both. Talk to you next week. Thank
0: you.